0: Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Monaco Weekly. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and for today's show I speak with Alan Palomo, former New Indian. We discuss his upcoming album, World of Hassle, and he tells me why the change of name.
1: process of trying to find lyrical inspiration, you know, I was in a bit of a, a rut for a moment. And I tend to curate very carefully what I'm consuming when I'm, uh, when I'm working, because it will inevitably make its way into the work, like movies I'm watching, books I'm reading. And I, I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of watching these Leonard Cohen interviews uh, right around uh, his album, I'm Your Man. And I was so thoroughly impressed at how he had been able to reinvent himself at, at age 50. You know, he's wearing this black suit. You know, it's funny because in that era, he makes a a cameo in Miami Vice. And it's so perfect. He, you know, he was the sharp-tongued as ever and quick-witted, had a lot to say. And and that album also is kind of where he stops taking himself quite as serious and his, his sense of humor really comes out. And I, I think I, I kind of had that moment of like, what is my album lacking in it? And I realized it was like, oh, it's the humor, you know? And, and and that's something that I've always kind of come back to is like, if it's not fun, then don't and don't make it, obviously. But in this context, you know, I, I wanted to kind of start laying the groundwork for what I want to ultimately do for the rest of my life. And I, I think I, I'm trying to imagine myself you know, my 50s, uh, you know, like Las Vegas, kind of Fat Alan doing like a residency, you know, still as still Neon Indian, you know, just like, uh, you know, you guys are a sexy crowd, uh, shoulda taken acid with you. Like, it, I, I just don't have, you know, that to me doesn't sound nearly as appealing as just starting to go by my own name and and not using the moniker, you know, that that I I, I donned when I was 20 years old. You know, it's like I'm living in a, a totally different epoch in my life. I look back on the on those times very fondly and I look back on that first album. But it's very interesting that sometimes the things you put the least amount of thought into can come to define you the most because that album I made in less than a month. You know, that first album, it'll never quite happen like that again. You know, it's like they say you got your whole life to write the first one and then it just sort of comes out of you. But since then, you know, it's it's been it's been three albums, and 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 I completed what I thought was was a, you know a trilogy. And I, I said in interviews even back in twenty fifteen when Big International came out that if Neon Indian was to continue, that I would have to, um, or it would have to undergo some some complete aesthetic uh, overhaul in order for it to remain interesting to me. And I was trying to write a fourth one that felt kind of forced, and then the pandemic started. So when I began writing, you know, a, a new collection of songs, it, it just felt like time, you know.
0: And can I be honest? Still talking about name, I think there's something about Palomo. Your surname is great, actually. Uh, you know, so oh, you should you. definitely it, use it. it. It sounds
1: Italian. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, there
0: is. I don't know. I can. I think of a drink. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of Paloma, but you know, you, you know what I mean, right? So. Yeah.
1: Well, you well definitely the Paloma is you know that's uh, the uh, grapefruit soda and, uh, and tequila. That's like a you know classic.
0: And I love the fact as all well, you're saying that you wanted to inject humor to your music. Uh, but what I love what you did at World of Hassle you did humor, but in, in such a sophisticated way, because the album, it feels lush. There's something sexy and lush about it. Tell us about some of your other inspiration uh, for the album. You know, I, I think I was reading the press release, a little bit of Brian Ferry there, but there's some Italo disco. There's so many cool influences in it.
1: Well, it's it's definitely an amalgam of of uh, what I've you know been listening to in the past uh, five or so years, and even just the core influences of... Um, you know, throughout my 20s, I, I really loved, like, the Blue Nile and Prefab Sprout, you know, but I the, with Neon Indian, it never quite... I didn't, it couldn't quite work its way in because that project was so textural and i knew that you know my fans they know you know how to program a synth they know you know how to make you know these sort of soundscapes but what haven't they heard from you and for me this album really was just like really sweating the lyrics and and kind of really sweating the songwriting aspects of it and that's the thing i've always really loved uh you know from from artists uh like Brian Ferry and and uh, and Patty McAloon from Prefab Sprout but even on top of that, like uh, a lot of the influences, I mean, I kind of just imagine in my head, like, I mean, there's certain, uh, you know, like the one instrumental track, uh, Alibi for Petra. You know, I was looking at a poster for this really bizarre Ridley Scott movie called Black Rain. And it's I, I call it one of like uh, uh, Ridley's Believe It or Nots, cause he has just these, his career has all these weird duds that are still fascinating to watch. But it's in that era, right around that time, you know, where where uh, those albums are dropping and you have like, you know, these really sort of like, sort of sleazy saxophone film scores, you know, and it's all about this undercover cop. Uh, it's like an American cop in Tokyo. And I never seen the movie, so I was like, let's just try to write what you think the soundtrack to this film would be? <laughs> I mean, it's the record was intended to feel cinematic in that way because I was also watching like uh, a lot of Adrian Lyne stuff, a lot of erotic thrillers. And what's interesting about Adrian Lyne, like his New York, is so slick and it's like you know everyone's wearing these like Cloud Montana suits and Yves Saint Laurent stuff. It's so dressed up, you know that that version of the '80s that's like everything's kind of hazed out.
0: And there's a story to tell in every song as well. For example, one of my favorites is the return. Uh, of mickey milan as well can you tell us a bit more about this song actually because it is about a a pop star fictitious pop star right
1: yes you know in some ways it's sort of like a call to arms to to my father actually because i mean he put out records in the 80s and and i know that i know what that is i mean i kind of grew up watching it's like you know when someone's no longer actively recording or they 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 kind of go into this hiatus or, or different priorities come into play and uh, and it's obviously, you know, it's it's not literally about him, but I kind of empathize with this um, this sort of narrative of, like, sort of slowly plotting some kind of comeback, waiting for your moment to sort of return to the limelight. He sort of plays this, like, prototypical American pop star. Like, I think a big lyrical inspiration for me in that one was just um, the film American Pop, this Ralph Bakshi animated movie that... There really has no business being animated. Like it's just a a straight story about these like kind of multiple generations of of musicians, Uh, and each one gets a little bit closer to fame and a little bit closer to fame, and then finally, um, you know, the great grandson in the '70s, who's like a coke dealer for some like rock band, is able to um, talk him into playing one of his songs, and he finally achieves like pop stardom, and the movie just ends on that note. So, I kind of wanted to write something you know that, that that captures that feeling of just like you know you've been hiding for way too long. There's a really great prefab sprout song, I think it's Jordan the comeback um that's he never says Elvis, but it's so obviously about him, and he's like waiting to drink from the river Jordan, you know, which i I think is like um this mythical river that that kind of restores your youth, you know, and he's got this great line. He's like, I'm just waiting for the right song, and then I'm coming back, you know. Um, But I think, yeah, I think if you're a musician and you've been kind of doing it for longer than a decade, like you'll have these little dips or these moments where you start to doubt yourself and, and start kind of plotting, you know, some kind of fictitious comeback, even if it's through the eyes of some late middle aged kind of washed up pop star. And
0: Alan, every, when I think of, of music, I do think of uh, synthesizers at times. But but I think for this album, you, you did learn to play piano, right? I mean, tell us, which instruments do you play? And, and is it true? Is, is that the case about the piano?
1: You know, I realized that um, my my skill set with the piano was kind of stuck for many years. I realized, uh, or sorry, my, my skill set just playing the keyboard, um, you know, most synthesizers. And I realized that it's because they're not weighted. So the resistance that you get when you're actually sitting down to play a piano is making your hands stronger. I realized that as much as I kind of fiddled around and you know, I, I really tried to kind of reject the idea for so many years that I was an actual musician. It's like, oh God forbid, I'd be a real musician. You know, I kept seeing myself as like a quote unquote producer or like, I'm just gonna make one more record and then I'm gonna go on to making films or something else. And eventually, you know, I, I, I had to confront it. <laughs> it's like, sorry, dude, you. You've tested positive for musician. You have to just re-acclimate to this reality and actually grow your skill set as opposed to um around with uh, you know, just with synths. And I knew that I, you know, during the pandemic, I mean, everybody kind of had their little, you know, pet project in, in terms of what they were gonna devote their time to. And for me, it was um, it was buying a piano and finally learning how to sight read and and kind of building that skill set out. And it was the best thing I, I really could have done in, in terms of for my my musical chops. And not just because those ideas grow, but you really, you get to this place, you get to this brick wall where like your hands can't keep up with your ideas after a while. There's more things you want to do, but you're just not capable of them. And, you know, a piano doesn't have MIDI. You got to actually learn to play it, you know. Um, and that for me really kind of opened up this world where I didn't want to, I don't want to turn my back on on making an electronic record. Like obviously I I still want my records to be chock full of ear candy and fun little uh, eccentricities, but it was cool to to kind of get to command it from a more traditional role, just sitting down and, and playing with different voicings and playing with key changes. And, and a lot of that desire also started on the last record when, you know, I'd kind of revamped the band and a lot of the players, you know, my brother included, way more experienced than I was they they'd played in all these different genres and and they really knew how to do pickup gigs and I realized that I, I was the least musically adept person in my band <laughs> and they couldn't you know they can't they they can't fire me because I write the songs but it really it kind of put um a little bit of a fire under my ass to to, to just be better
0: well and it's funny you're mentioning that you wanted to keep some of some eccentricities and still some kind of electro fun vibes and one of my favorite tracks as well is uh sorry if i'm pronouncing incorrectly the uh, oh yes I love yes. the kind of it is electro vibes as well that's a fantastic track as well
1: Well, um, I can tell you that I I, uh, I did the entire song on a Jupiter 8. That was one, um, I mean, which is, you know, that's like the holy grail, you know, synthesizer of the 80s. Uh, it appears on all these kind of like canonical pop records. And it's so funny. I used to own one in 2012, 2013, and I sold it. I traded it for a memory mode because I was like, this is too clean. It's like, it sounds too, like... It sounds too hi-fi. It sounds too pop. And and the answer really was just that I just didn't know what I was doing then. You know, I, I really didn't know how to kind of get the sound I wanted from it. And um, I bought a Memory Moog instead, which which did wind up being the the sound of, of Vega. But um, I tried to to reacquire one when I started writing this record. And then something happened over the pandemic where just like the price on anything vintage, just completely skyrocketed. And I saw that the the Jupiter 8 had gone up to like $36,000, which is just oh. completely insane. But my friend had one, my friend Michael Stein, um, who I've known since Austin, when he was in this band, Survive, um, and now him and, and uh, one of his bandmates, Kyle, um, they do the music for Stranger Things, and he's got just you know, God's synthesizer collection. He's been, like, collecting since back in the day because he used to be a repair tech at this place switched on. Uh, it's, like, a music shop in Austin, and um, and he had a Jupiter 8. So I hit him up, and I was, you know, I I, I spent a couple days there using primarily that. And, uh, and a Jupiter 6, uh, there's definitely a lot of, you know, it's a very Roland kind of record. But as far as, like, the inspiration of the song, I mean, I really love this kind of subgenre of, like, it's not a it's a tallow but made in france Mm. and uh a lot of djs call it (laughs) fritalo
0: i love the (laughs) Um, name (laughs)
1: but it's yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's um you know it's a lot of it's french singers uh i mean i love a lot of just kind of french boogie and disco from that era uh and i love that that um in more recent years i feel like suddenly france kind of became nostalgic about its own 1980s and you're seeing you know kind of bands like um you know, L'imperatrice and uh, Louis of Man, um, you know, Lafemme, you see that their 1980s again is is kind of this more sort of dressed up endeavor. You know, the chords are a little bit more interesting, you know, they're taking elements from from Funk and boogie and a lot of records coming out of the United States and and, and also injecting Algerian and Moroccan influences. And, and it's just, it's really uh I don't know, it just has a very international vibe. You know, that was that was very much so the impetus for wanting to write something in French, you know. And uh and as I started kind of, I'm not fully fluent, you know, but I I well, you know, Spanish being a first language, I I definitely was able to fake my way through a lot of French exams in, in high school. <laughs> But I started kind of putting together this, this lyrical story about, and it's basically like kind of like a classic Kubrick, you know, Shelley Duvall, The Shining kind of thing where the director's just pushing the actress too far and, you know, she's having to die and die again. And and the the song is kind of about that reckless abandon. You know, obviously it's a metaphor for more of like a, a relationship. You know, maybe maybe it's a little bit of a reference to like a Le Petite mort uh, which is, you know, I guess like the French euphemism <laughs> for orgasm. Uh, so I don't know. It was like I, I I was in this kind of erotic thriller sort of state of mind that I was like, you know, let's let's explore that. Let's let's write it about you know an actor from a director. And I, I was lucky enough to have some friends of mine that live in my neighborhood um, who had this band called Pearl and the Oyster. were great band. Uh, they put out a record recently on Stones Throw. Um, you know they they knew Fleur from Limpar from back in the day, and and they were nice enough to connect me to her. And sure enough, um, you know, she she dug the track and she sent me some really incredible vocals. And uh, and yeah, that was kind of the story of how that song came together.
0: I love you mentioned uh, Erotic Thriller a few times because I love them. They are also kind of an inspiration uh, for me. And I think perhaps there might be a little comeback as well of, of, of Erotic thrillers. perhaps starting oh, with dude, your album. I hope
1: so. I yes, hope so. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it's funny. There's a song, well, this is a little bit of an exclusive, but uh, nice. um, there was a song on the record that didn't quite, it didn't fit the sequence. So I kind of want to maybe build out an EP around it, but the song was called Erotic Thriller. Mm. Uh and I, now I'm just sort of like, man, should I just, you know, you could take all the titles of the best ones. You could take like Crimes of Passion, Law of Desire. What is it? There's that remix, uh, sorry, not that remix, uh, that remake of like The Postman Always Rings Twice. You know, obviously you've got like nine and a half weeks. Yeah. I and mean, it's like the list goes on and on, but I'm just sort of like, man, maybe, maybe I should just you know, have a little four or five song EP where each one's just like a different film title, you know? Can you please and do that? It?
0: Can you please do that? Because <laughs> and, and you should send it to me firstly because you, you said it here yes. exclusively. <laughs> but yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, what a fantastic idea. Uh, listen, uh, Alan, what a pleasure talking to you. I love the concept for the album, the music. I'm a big fan here. So thank you so much for oh, chatting with us. Thank you so much. There was Alan Palomo there. World of Hassle is out on the 15th of September. The show was edited by Sami Suisi and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco.